couple weeks ago, I noticed a spirited conversation on Twitter about the death penalty in Nevada. It was between our host, David Figler, who's our criminal defense attorney, and Kim Foster, a friend of the pod, who writes about food, poverty, and injustice. Kim actually requested a CityCast episode about this, so we invited her on. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, Kim and I talk with David about the particulars of the death penalty here in Nevada and why Clark County has the fourth highest death penalty rate in the country. Come for the knowledge, stay for the Beretta and Princess Bride references. It's Monday, August 22nd, 2022. I'm Sonia Cho Swanson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Kim, is your phone in airplane mode? Just in case if you... uh... It is not in airplane mode. That means we're going to have to... Wait, hold on. Hello, Kim. It's so good to see you again. Great to be back on CityCast. You guys are amazing. And of course, we have David, our beloved host. Hello, David. Hello. David means beloved in Hebrew. Oh my gosh, what? (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) You are beloved, sweetheart. You are beloved. Truly, truly. And so I was so excited to talk to you guys today because I had been watching like a little fly in the wall, this amazing Twitter back and we have so many amazing Twitter back and forth. But this one was so interesting recently. I was just curious, Kim, you were talking about an article that you read that in the RJ that kind of like got you thinking. Tell us about that. Okay, so there was an article recently in the RJ about prosecutors here in Vegas seeking the death penalty for two men who were accused of committing armed robberies on the Strip. They killed two tourists. The one was uh, an 18-year-old named Jordan Ruby, and the other is a 20-year-old named Justani Carter. They have been indicted for two counts of murder with a deadly weapon of a victim 60 or older. And one of the things that really struck me about this is that Jordan Ruby is 18. Hmm. And that sort of set about a sort of series of thoughts, thinking to myself, I have a 17-year-old at home who will be 18 in a few months. And I was thinking a lot about how an 18-year-old came to be going to the strip with arms and looking to hold people up and... um like, I can't imagine why an 18-year-old would be doing that. And now this 18-year-old is looking at, possibly looking at the death penalty. And so I guess I was I was sort of mortified that prosecutors were seeking the death penalty against an 18-year-old when we know that their brains are not fully formed and they're still growing. They will not be fully formed, particularly impulse control will not be fully formed until they're in their mid twenties. And so I had reached out to David on Twitter and just sort of said, what the hell, why are we executing children? You know, what is that about? And of course he is a trove of knowledge. And so that started the back and forth. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because, you know, Kim and I live close enough to each other. She could have just shouted it and I could have given her an answer. But instead, we did this exchange in public on social media. So, But yeah, I, uh, in my life, not co-hosting a podcast about Las Vegas. That's kind of my forte. I've spent a lot of time uh, doing murder and death penalty work as a criminal defense attorney here in Las Vegas. And I've written about it extensively as well. How do you feel, David, about 
first of all, the death penalty <laughs> and and then specifically the death penalty for like an 18 year old? Well, I have a lot of feels and I often tell prosecutors who I go up against, the ones who seek the death penalty, that I could sit on a jury of a death penalty because I am not so fundamentally opposed to it philosophically that I would be automatically disqualified. So yeah, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, and I hate to be the explainer of all things. So I'm going to run through it as quick as I can and just get to kind of the heart of the question is that, so we, we don't, we cannot execute people under the age of 18. So juveniles are exempt from the death penalty now. We also cannot execute individuals that are so fundamentally uh, e emotionally challenged or rather intellectually challenged. Um, there are harsher words that have been used in law cases that we don't use anymore in polite company, but people who just really cannot tell the difference between right and wrong, that it wouldn't be right. The problem with that is that we don't always know who those people are. And Correct. there are these various tests of cognitive deficits and stuff like that. And you have to have these hearings and it's up to a judge to determine if they're crossing the line or not crossing the line. So you could still see that them going after that person for the death penalty, but only when it comes through the wash of these hearings, does that kind of come out. Youthfulness itself should be um, one of the disqualifying factors, but it's not. It's something called a mitigating factor. And we'll probably talk about that a little bit. But e essentially, the way that the death penalty works is in Nevada is that, you know, where a prosecutor can seek the death penalty and then ultimately a jury, uh, and I'm oversimplifying it, of course, will consider potential mitigation as to not give that person the death penalty. Youthfulness is an articulated, enumerated, mitigating factor. You would think that the prosecution would take that into account when they make the decision to seek the death penalty, but that tends not to be the case in Clark County. And I would be remiss if I didn't talk about, well, Clark County as being an outlier and how often we seek the death penalty against a whole range of people. Well, this is actually something that that I find really interesting. There's a couple of things that you said that sort of strike me. There seem to be a few things that aren't thought of as a reason, as mitigating circumstances. And one of them might be traumatic brain injury, which is considered to be much more prevalent in our society than previously thought. And also ACEs, which are, you know, basically adverse childhood experiences that create all kinds of trauma around the brain. And those things, like for me, that comes to mind when I think about an 18 year old that's in an explosively dangerous situation. Like how did this, my kids aren't going to kill people tomorrow, right? So what is the difference between my kid and a kid that is now, you know, has guns and is, you know, trying to steal from people and is in this like terrible situation. So for me, those things aren't congruent. And I think feel like they need to be considered. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of the thing. And that was really a lot of what you were talking about uh, in in your in your tweets. And and I think rightfully so. The process is strange, right? So the, the prosecution, the way that, that it works here in Clark County is, you know, the prosecution does some matter of investigation of their case before. Theoretically, they know a lot of these things. A defense attorney has an opportunity to approach the prosecutors ahead of time and, and tell them certain things. But beyond the youth of the, the person, there's also uh, no significant 
no significant history of prior criminal activity, that they were under the influence of extreme mental or emotional disturbance, that they were a minor player. I mean, all these things are mitigating factors, but also um, anything else could be mitigating. Mercy can be mitigating. Uh, Hmm. All the things that you're talking about can be mitigating, but that would be for the jury to weigh if you will, in determining what the appropriate penalty for the individual is. So, Kim, to to answer your question, there are places for all that to be considered. The question is, why doesn't the Clark County prosecution take those things into consideration before announcing or seeking the death penalty against individuals? And I would suggest to you that they have a philosophy over there that isn't as impacted by that type of analysis as much as, is it an ugly case? Is it one that they can uh, claim to be the worst of the worst offenders by the facts and therefore, you know, move forward under that kind of idea? It's, it's rough. It's rough. And this is interesting that you bring up those really nasty cases because there is a case it was also mentioned in that review journal piece about christina and leon gritz who were accused of killing their um, eight-year-old son by drowning him and taking video of it his name was isaiah gritz i think that was a, a case from last year but it was interesting to see that it's obviously i i don't think there's anybody that would not be mortified that parents would kill their children. Uh, but the question is, is it just a normal thing that if it, it's a terribly difficult, hard case that they would just pursue the death penalty? Is it like arbitrary? Are there things set in stone? Are there mechanisms to help make the decisions? Like how does it, why this case and not another case? Per se, it's not reviewable. The only time that you actually get a judge intervening is if there is absolutely nothing in support of the aggravating circumstance. And I I can't wait till we talk about how aggravating circumstances are used to get a case qualified <laughs> for the death penalty camp because it's gonna it it's gonna be kind of comical uh, oh, how no. broad it is. Oh no! Yeah. Oh but, no! But but on on the other side, um, the prosecution, unless they're seeking against somebody who can be proven to be so developmentally challenged or have such extreme cognitive deficits that the judge says, no, this person doesn't qualify for the death penalty, that there is no review that, you know, I think from a philosophical standpoint, and the current DA claims that he does it a lot less than his predecessors did, but it still, let's just put it this way. We are still in the top counties in the country responsible for seeking the death penalty. Well, that actually is a great lead into my question, David, because I wanted to bring it home to, to locally, what does the death penalty look like in Clark County where we live versus other counties around the country? So and why? There, there are what's considered to be outlier counties in the country, those that seek the death penalty at a rate far higher than others. There's an old saying that there's kind of four approaches to the death penalty in increasing severity. There's those states, and, and I think that there's like 23 states that don't have the death penalty at all or, you know, and, and, and don't ever seek it. Then there are states that seek it, 
but don't actually execute people. In other words, people just languish on death row and then wind up dying in custody on death row as opposed to in a machine or with lethal injection or something like that. Uh, Nevada would be one of those states. We seek it a lot, but we don't uh, actually execute individuals. Then there's those states that seek it and get it and use it all the time. And then Florida. there's Texas. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, which is its own category of intensity. But Oklahoma, oh Florida, God. you know, Arizona, these places, they do seek the death penalty and, and execute people quite a bit, southern states. So Las Vegas is one of those weird places. Clark County is one of those weird places where they do seek it so much that they make all the national lists of of who seek it more than others. Like I said, the current DA, Steve Wilson, says he doesn't seek as much as his predecessors, but you know we've seen it against five individuals this year and maybe more, five that have made the newspapers and you know they don't always get publicized. Right. I think that the current philosophy of this DA is if I can say that these are the worst of the worst people, then I'm covered. Because he's only responsible to really the, uh, the public as an elected official. So what you're saying is that it's basically, it's a it's a, a tactic for the courtroom using the death penalty. I think so. I don't think that I'm going out on a limb saying that they seek it to have leverage, uh, to force a deal where maybe one wasn't going to be had before, uh, where they make the penalty the most severe penalty. So anything sounds good next to that. I want to do a vibe check with you, Kim. So... We opened up this conversation talking about some very young people, 18 and 20, uh, who've been charged. And I'm just curious, say you're invited to be on a jury and they're interviewing you. I'm curious how your feelings about the death penalty itself would change if someone was, say, 18 versus 29. Do you feel like the death penalty is justified or more justified in one case versus another? Well, you know, this is a really interesting question because I've been asking myself, I'm, I would, I would definitely put myself in the David Figler category of just categorically being against the death penalty. Wait, did you just, is that what you got from that? I'm not categorically <laughs> against it. I, okay. I am very jaded as it applies here in Clark County, but okay. I hear All right. what you're okay. saying. So- I got you. I, you know, it's your vibe, not mine. I'm going to, I'm going to back <laughs> the vibe away. Uh, Kim's vibe. Kim's vibe. Well, I'm trying to I've been thinking a lot about just thinking about this particular case of an 18 year old. I've been thinking about what justice means. So we know that two people died. And if if they're your loved ones and people that were important to you, obviously you want some kind of resolution and justice that makes you feel like something was done. But I don't know what that is. So is it you know, throwing someone away in a jail for the rest of their lives because of a decision, because of a, a an awful decision they made at 18? Is it, you know, running them through this system where of appeals and litigation and all these things that happen so that someday we can kill them or they can plea out and we still throw them away? Or is that, does that meter out justice? Is that something that is going to make that family feel better. I I don't I don't have any answers for these, but these are the things that I think about when I think about this kind of case. Having done this research for the book, I see so many people who are really really broken and traumatized and their brains are not okay and the families are not okay and things and that sort of becomes this 
uh, for me, that becomes not an excuse, but a sort of mitigating circumstance. But I don't know what that means. I don't know what justice means in that situation. And so I would love to have just thoughts from you two about what justice would be in this situation. Well, right. Justice is the big elusive question. I mean, some people use the expression criminal justice in quotation marks because we don't have these kind of adult conversations about it. Where does vengeance come in? Because, Mm, you know, I I think there have been so many studies uh, that people aren't healed, that they don't receive closure when someone who has killed their loved one is then killed by the state. Um, It feeds a vengeance thread. I mean, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, it's very biblical. <laughs> in, yeah, in, I was just yeah. thinking you know, about that. In, like, in a yeah. lot of ways. And, and Hammurabi's we, whatever code. Well, eye for eye, right? And, and yeah. But as Gandhi famously said, you, know, you just wind up with an entire world that's blind. So um, <laughs> I paraphrase. Is that Gandhi or is that yeah. P- Pinterest? <laughs> it was both. It was, <laughs> okay. Yeah, no. But, you know, it, it is funny, though, that... Kim, you bring these things up, and I know as a, as a mom, as a writer who is doing a book about people in these various desperate situations in our community and how they kind of make it through, through the lens of food and, and survival, that kind of seems on some level to be thrown out when we talk about what is justice. Is justice very binary? Is there crime and punishment? You know, the old Beretta song, right? Don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Don't do it. Um, and, oh my you know, God, you quoted Beretta. I, it's cockatoo <laughs> logic in a lot of ways. And so, you know, uh, that's a deep Does cut. Sonia the cockatoo. Even get this no, she doesn't get the cockatoo. I'm just laughing and nodding along, but yeah. I have no she idea. She doesn't get who the Beretta cockatoo. Is, His guys. name is Fred. Wow, I'm moving on. So it was a song, and I'm not going to sing yeah. it. But, but Darn. you know, when Kim, and having been in death penalty cases where I've presented the case, you throw everything in there. You talk about that person's childhood. You talk about their traumas. You talk about their stresses. You bring in experts to explain these things. So it's there. It's in the mix. But it's not there at the front end. That's the problem. And the crime could be so heinous that juries look beyond it, especially juries that have nothing in common with the individual who's sitting before them. So, so much for a jury of your peers. It's almost like, you know, you have sometimes a jury of cockatoos. So, you know, just ready to repeat what the prosecution has fed them. And, you know, and this is a problem. And so when it comes to like the prosecutor defending themselves, they say, well, look, we only seek it in limited circumstances, only the worst of the worst, and they have to qualify under the law. So there's plenty of of checks and balances. They have to have a case that qualifies. It has to be a first degree murder case. And then one of these aggravating circumstances, which, you know, I've been chomping at the bit to talk about. So there are... Do it, do uh, it. Okay, I'm going to do it. So under Nevada law, there are... 15 specific categories of cases where they can seek the death penalty. Under some of them, there are subcategories. So there's like maybe 18 to 20 qualifiers. And this is the mind blower. If the person had a specific motive for money or no motive at all, that makes them eligible. If it was done in the commission of a invasion of the home or a burglary inside a place. So if it was basically done inside a place, it is also eligible. So if it was done outside where people could be injured or inside where people could be injured, then that qualifies it. If the person was under 14 who died or over 60, so that entire category of people. If the person was trying to avoid or prevent a lawful arrest or to get away, that (laughs) is a qualifier. 
But then there's one last one, and this is the one that gets used more than anything else. And that is if the person who committed the murder has committed either another murder or another crime of violence. Here's the problem with that one. In this particular case, they haven't been convicted of anything yet, but it was pled in a way that if they are convicted of the other robberies, that would make them eligible for the death penalty. So it's all kind of tied in. So if they get convicted of both murders, then each murder can be the qualifier of the other one. For the other. Yeah. Oh, that's so tricky. So basically, everything is everything. Anything that's a first-degree murder. I have challenged prosecutors, very, very smart prosecutors, prosecutors who I have the utmost respect for their intelligence. Give me an example of a first-degree murder case where a person is not eligible for the death penalty. And to date, no one has been able to come up with that answer. So all first-degree murder, from my perspective, in Clark County, is eligible for the death penalty. So then it really does become this arbitrary announcement that this one is the worst of the worst. And if everybody was the worst of the worst, to now quote the Princess Bride, I don't think you know what that word means. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, paraphrase. And now the Princess Bride. I do know the Princess Bride. I do know the Princess Bride. I mean, there were five people so far this year that are the worst of the worst. So who is the worst of the worst? Does that seem a lot? That seems a lot, right? Isn't that a lot? It's a lot more than most counties in the country. Wow. Well, we're going to start to wrap up here. But before we sign off, any last thoughts, Kim, as you think about this issue and what kinds of conversations do you hope that we'll be having in Clark County about this going forward? Yeah, well, I I hope David talks about this more because I think sometimes we as the public don't really understand the inner workings of how these things are decided. And one of the things I've been thinking about is how we just accept systems for the way they are. Mm -hmm. We just assume Mm -hmm. they are that way because they work. There's a reason why those things Um, allow you to be able to seek the death penalty. Like there must be 10 good reasons why that's the case. But I think the public needs to be more critical and ask more questions about these systems that we're in and saying, is this really the best way forward? And for me, that's my sort of takeaway from thinking about this. David, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, the question is, does it work? But the bigger question is, what are your goals (laughs) So, you know, if it's to deter crime by having the death penalty, that is a fallacy. If it is to feel like you're, you're punishing people severely for doing the most extreme behavior against other people, then it's a wild success. So, I mean, the question is where, where does that sort of threat of vengeance fit into a broader discussion of justice? And that's the hard part. And that's before you get to the abuse of the death penalty, the randomness of how it's sought, the racial disparities that exist at different levels of it, uh, and the expense of it. But the, the, the end result is that here in Nevada, we really aren't killing them. We're just doing it all for part of theater. And theater is a, a, has its place in the criminal justice system. And I'm doing that with air quotes as well. It's hard because you don't want to disrespect victims or their family members. But Correct. there are ways. And there are groups out there who say, you, you want to be healed? You want to have closure? There are ways to do it. There are ways to do it, but not the death penalty. Well, thank you both so much for this amazing conversation. I was so excited to get to be the fly on the wall of your Twitter thread in real life. (laughs) Twitter comes to life. 
Twitter comes yeah! to life. More of this, please. More Twitter threads. And make sure everyone goes and follows David at OyVegas and Kim at KimFosterNYC on Twitter for more of this amazing conversation. Thanks, you guys. Bye. Thank Anytime. you. See you in the neighborhood. Kim's book, titled The Meth Lunches, will be out in 2023, so keep an eye out for that. And now it's time for a little news before you go. Imagine the Las Vegas Strip extending south all the way to Blue Diamond Road. So that's a possibility, some gaming experts told a recent gathering of real estate execs. They say our water situation might someday limit growth. But for now, new resorts and sports arenas could enlarge the strip in both directions. Next, can you guess what the biggest water user in the valley is? If you guessed Lake Las Vegas, give yourself a star. Nice job. A recent tally of the water use shows that the Henderson neighborhood used more than 1 billion gallons in 2021. Management there says it's working on conservation measures. Good luck. That is all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Was that fun? Did you learn something new about the death penalty? I know I did. So go tell a friend, send them this episode. Then head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher and rate the show and leave us a review. Write something that you liked about the show. Don't forget to subscribe to our amazing morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. It's all coming from Pinterest. It's all coming from Pinterest.